What is going on, sports fans, and welcome back to another edition of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast, Season 3, Episode 4, and we've got a lot, a lot of good stuff to talk about today, including the NFL releasing all 18 weeks of its regular season schedule. Yesterday, I'll talk about the important games and also play the schedule games with the Cleveland Browns go through every game of the Cleveland Browns schedule and give you my official record prediction for the 2021 season for the Browns. We also got MLB and NBA in full swing. The NBA playoffs and the play-in tournament are coming up. We'll talk about which teams are in the position to succeed going into the playoffs and the play-in tournament. Of course, the MLB is right around the quarter, a quarter of the way through their season. But before we get to all that, this episode is always brought to you by Anchor. Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast, creation tools, editing tools, everything you need to start your very own podcast is on Anchor. Anchor, Anchor, Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started with your very own podcast today. Today is Thursday, May 13th. Let's go. And welcome back to another edition of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. I'm your host with the most, the man with the plan, Jack Bernie, and we're going to go through everything happening in the world of sports today, starting with the NFL releasing its schedule. That's right, the NFL released its schedule yesterday, and it had some very interesting games. We're going to go through the schedule with the Browns in a minute, but first, just highlight some of the most important games, most interesting games of the NFL schedule. Starting in week one, I would say the most interesting game in week one does involve the Cleveland Browns as the Browns will travel to Kansas City where their season ended last season against the Kansas City Chiefs and it will be a rematch of that divisional round playoff. The Browns and the Chiefs at Arrowhead 425. We're going to have Jim Nance, Tony Romo on the call. It should be a great week one matchup and the opening game of the season, which I found a little bit interesting too, the Dallas Cowboys will travel to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Obviously, it'll be ring night, banner night ceremonies for the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers in week one. That's a little bit of an interesting game to me. I still don't know why they keep putting the Cowboys in primetime when the Cowboys haven't done anything in since the 90s. So I, I don't really get that. But uh, some other notable games include week four. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers return to New England. It'll be Tom Brady's first game back in New England, it'll be a Sunday night football game as the Buccaneers take on the Patriots. Tom Brady's homecoming, Brady versus Belichick for the first time. That should be a good one. And some other of the big games include, I'm trying to find some more here, Chiefs-Ravens, of course. Chiefs-Bills Sunday night football week five is another good one. Potential AFC title game preview there. And yeah, those are some just some of the standout games this season, Browns-Packers on Christmas Day. That'll be interesting to see the Browns play on Christmas Day. But before we get into the Browns schedule, let's take a look at the five easiest schedules and the five hardest schedules. Now, this is based on opponent strength of schedule, and it's based on forecasted win totals. So if you look at strength of schedule, either on ESPN or NFL Network right now, it's based off their records from last season. But the real way to do an effective 
strength of schedules based on the forecasted win total. So the easiest five easiest schedules in the NFL based off 2021 forecasted win total. The easiest ones are number one, 49ers, number two, Broncos, number three, Browns, number four, Dolphins, and number five, Buccaneers. So those are the easiest. The five hardest are number 28, Bengals, number 29, Lions, number 30, Texans, 31, Steelers, and 32, Raiders. So those are the five easiest and the five hardest schedules. So with that being said, let's get into the Browns' schedule and get right on into our record prediction. Week one, the Browns do face the Chiefs in Arrowhead. Should be a tough game, one of the tougher games on the Browns' schedule. Obviously, the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, that offense will be a juggernaut once again. They've been to the Super Bowl back-to-back years, and they'll be hungry to get their season off to a good start, as will the Browns. The Browns have a lot of hype surrounding them this season. On paper, they're loaded. Their offenses could be historically great. And their defense, they have nine new starters, including Jadavion Clowney. So both teams feel like they are going to be Super Bowl contenders. And, and what a first game it will be between the Browns and the Chiefs. And obviously, we all know the Browns have not won a season opener in the NFL since 2004. They're 120-1 in season openers since they came back to the NFL after relocating to Baltimore in 1995 so they haven't won a season opener since 2004 17 years do i think the streak ends against the kansas city chiefs and patrick mahomes i think it will i think the browns will beat the chiefs week one and i don't know what you're saying jack you're by you're biased because you're a browns fan that may be true a little bit but i just think the browns are going to beat the chiefs i think the chiefs are going to expect it to be a cakewalk of course, if you remember the playoff game, the Chiefs did lose Patrick Mahomes for the majority of the fourth quarter and some of the third quarter, and they were rolling with Mahomes, so they think they kind of got robbed, that they beat the Browns with the backup quarterback, and that should be a cakewalk to do it again. The Browns are going to be hungry to win this game, and I think Kevin Stefanski will have his team ready to roll. I think Baker will be ready to roll, and I think that new defense led by Jadavion Clowney, Denzel Ward, and Miles Garrett will be ready to roll, and I think the Browns will steal one in Arrowhead in a high-scoring game. Then the Browns, I think, could have the potential to start off to a very good record, kind of like a 3-1, and 4-1 and record that they started off last season. I think they'll beat the Texans at home in Week 2. I think they'll beat the Bears at home in Week 3. And I think that they will beat the Vikings away in Week 4. And they'll start off 4-0 before losing back-to-back games to the Chargers and the Cardinals. So right now, through Week week. Through week six, I had the Browns 4-2, starting off 4-0, beating the Chiefs, Texans, Bears, and Vikings, and losing on the road to a good Chargers team and losing at home to a good Cardinals team. From there, I have them bouncing back against the Broncos with a win on Thursday Night Football Week 7, and Week 8 at home versus the Steelers on Halloween. I have the Browns winning that one, so they'll start off 6-2. I have them beating the Bengals away in Week 9, November 7th. Losing to the Patriots week 10 away, beating the Lions week 11 at home. So through week 11, and then I'll have them losing week 12 away Sunday Night Football to the Baltimore Ravens. So going into their bye week, the Browns, I think, will be, let's calculate it real quick. Eight and four. I think the Browns will be eight and four going into their bye week in week 13. They have a pretty easy first half to the schedule. The notable games, I would say their toughest games are against the Chiefs, Chargers, Cardinals, and Patriots. And that's why I have them losing three of those games. And obviously the Ravens game on Sunday Night Football will be a tough one as well. I think the the division between the division race between the Browns and the Ravens, I do think it will be a two-team race 
for the division. I think the Browns and the Ravens will be going at it. From there, I see the Browns finishing the season very, very favorably. I think they will beat the Ravens coming out of the bye week in week 14. One of the most interesting aspects of this Browns schedule is that they have the Ravens week 12, then they have a bye week, and then they play the Ravens again in week 14. Those, that's a critical stretch of the season, and the Browns are lucky enough to have a bye week because the, the Ravens at that point, they go from playing the Browns to playing the Steelers on the road to playing the Browns rested off a bye. That's a brutal stretch for the Ravens, and I think the Browns will take advantage of that and win that Week 14 game against the Ravens. I also think they will win Week 15 against the Raiders at home, bringing them to 10-4. and And then I think they lose to the Green Bay Packers, Green Bay Packers on Christmas Day in Lambeau, if Aaron Rodgers is still there, which I expect him to be. So they will be 10-5 and at that point. And I expect them to beat the Steelers on Monday Night Football and beat the Bengals at home Sunday, January 9th. So I think the Browns will finish 12-5. and I can see them finishing 11-6, and losing one of those games to the Steelers or the Bengals. But I really see this the Browns winning anywhere between 11 and 14 games. And I know that sounds crazy, but there are 17 games now. It's literally the biggest season ever in the NFL. They added an extra game, added an extra week, and I definitely see this Browns team finishing 12-5. and So I do see them beating the Chiefs, beating the Steelers twice, beating the Bengals twice, splitting with the Ravens, and having a very favorable home record. I think only one blemish on their home schedule will be that Cardinals game in Week 6. And they do have nine home games. So if they do play well at home, they should have a winning record. They, they should have a winning record if they play well at home. The only other home games I could see them losing are to the Ravens, are to the Bengals. And also that Steelers game in Week 8 on Halloween. It depends on what Steelers team we get that week, I guess. But that's what I expect the Browns. I expect the Browns to finish 12-5. and five. It should be a great year for the Browns. They, they have a lot of talent coming back on both the offense and the defense. Baker Mayfield's going to be ready to roll. So is Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And that offense and that defense led by Jadavion Clowney and Miles Garrett. But the most interesting part of the Browns' schedule, I think, is they do play a lot of good opponents, like the Chiefs, like the Packers. But when I look past the Chiefs and the Packers, every other game on the schedule is winnable. The only three playoff teams the Browns played last year were the Chiefs. The only two playoff teams were the Chiefs. Uh, three, excuse me. Four, if you count the Steelers. They have the Chiefs, Packers, Steelers, and Ravens are the four playoff teams on their schedule. Besides that, I would say the Chargers and the Cardinals are the two toughest matchups. But the Browns have a good schedule. They have a couple primetime games. Sunday Night Football against the Ravens. Monday Night Football Week 17 against the Steelers. Nationally televised Week 1 against the Chiefs. Nationally televised slot, I believe, against the Cardinals. And it looks like against the Packers in, on Christmas Day. So it should be a fun season for the Browns. And I expect the Browns to be 12-5 and five based off their schedule. That's my first impression of their schedule. And, it, and the other NFL games... A lot, a lot of interesting NFL NFL games. I, we went over some of them, but it it, it there's also going to be some more and great NFL games. They're trying to find some some other ones. Obviously, uh, the big storylines this season include Tom Brady trying to go for a repeat, trying to go for his eighth Super Bowl ring. We look at some other storylines. Will Deshaun Watson be in Houston? The Browns do open their home season against the Houston Texans. Will Deshaun Watson even be there? 
And who's going to win some of these close divisions? AFC North, NFC North. Will Aaron Rodgers be in Green Bay? Those are some of the storylines this season. And I'm just excited to get football back. So that is the NFL schedule. We went over the Browns schedule. Next on our agenda will be Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow is back in the NFL after signing a deal with the Jacksonville Jaguars to come play tight end. Obviously, Tebow did play for Urban Meyer at the University of Florida in college. That could be a reason why he did sign this contract. I'm not disputing that. But it should be interesting to see Tim Tebow. Apparently, the Jaguars coaches and scouts were very, very impressed with his workout. So that'll be very interesting to see how Tim Tebow does in Jacksonville. He hasn't been in the league since 2012. He obviously has never played tight end. I think Urban Meyer is going to find creative ways to use Tim Tebow in his offense. And it'll be interesting to see Tim Tebow, what packages they pair him him and Trevor Lawrence in. Because it obviously will, uh, Tim Tebow will get used in Urban Meyer offense. No doubt about it. All right, before we go to break, let's talk about the big story in horse racing. Medina Spirit, the winner of the Kentucky Derby, busted for, uh, his trainers are busted for using um, illegal substances, which were uh, basically uh, he tested positive for these illegal substances, and they were um, antifungal meds, which had steroids in them. So... I don't know what just happened there, but we're clicking on the article right now so I can kind of help you guys figure out what happened. I'm sure you guys heard about this if you have been following the podcast, but famously, Bob Baffert, I guess infamously it would be, um, Bob Baffert is um, one has probably the most wins. I think he has the most wins of any trainer at the Kentucky Derby, but most of his horses have tested positive for steroids, and Medina Spirit is the uh, Medina, Medina Spirit, whatever. Uh, I'm from Ohio, so I'm going to say Medina because there is a city in Ohio called Medina. But a lot of the national media is going to say Medina. So the Kentucky Derby winner Medina Spirit was treated with an antifungal ointment containing the steroid betamethasone that may have caused the horse to fail a post-race drug test. So the investigation is still going on. Uh, Baffert's Baff. This guy, uh, this, their trainer's really, really weird. He uh, he kind of uh, went on Fox News and said it was a conspiracy that his horse tested positive. But um, you know, it's it, it it's not a conspiracy theory. You're not a victim of cancel culture, Bob Baffert. Your your Medina Spirit is the fifth medical violation in the past 13 months for Bob Baffert, a two-time Triple Crown winning trainer and the face of the sport. He obviously did, um, he was a trainer, uh, American Pharaoh, who won the Triple Crown in 2018, and winning the Preakness with either Medina Spirit or Concert Tour, so he has two uh, two horses racing in the Preakness, would give Baffert a record eighth victory in that race, except for 2020, when the Triple Crown races were run out of order, Baffert is undefeated with the Derby winner in the Preakness. So that means Medina Spirit should be the heavy favorite for the Preakness in a couple weeks. But obviously it's a bad look for horse racing that their uh, Medina Spirit did test positive for uh, steroids. Obviously the Kentucky Derby is probably the most um, famous of the horse racing events. And now uh, it's kind of strange that uh, their winner did test positive for steroids. And Bob Baffert, who is considered the face of the sport as a trainer 
him uh, basically saying that it was a conspiracy. He was a victim of cancel culture. I don't think that's true. I think he just made a mistake. And sometimes you got to own up to your mistakes, especially when you are in a position of power in sports. All right, that is going to do it for the first half of this episode. When we come back, NBA playing scenarios, MLB standing updates, and we end with a couple segments. You won't want to miss it. Please stay with us. And welcome back to Season 3, Episode 4 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast presented by Anchor. Anchor, the easiest way to make podcasts. You just heard an ad read for Anchor, and seriously, Anchor is the best, best podcasting app out there. I don't think I could have done this podcast without Anchor as the platform to distribute it, to edit it, to do all that good stuff on. So if you are interested even in the slightest in starting your own podcast, there's only one place to do that, and that place is Anchor. All right, let's get into NBA playoff play-in scenarios. Uh, the NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and so is the NBA play-in tournament. Last time we talked, we talked about the Lakers and how they're on the they were on the outside looking in in the playoffs. They're right around that six seed in the NBA uh, Western Conference playoffs, and we now have a scenario in which the Lakers can still get into the top six and not have to play in the play-in tournament. So the Lakers have won their last two games despite Anthony Davis and LeBron James not playing yesterday against the Rockets and despite LeBron James not playing in over a week. LeBron, I think, is going to rest until the playoffs or the play-in tournament start. I, I just don't see him coming back. Uh, yesterday, he they uh, the Lakers had their uh, party, basically not party, ceremony, that's the word, <laughs> for their uh, 17th banner, which they won in 2020. And LeBron kind of got on the mic and said... Uh, the chase for an 18th banner begins next week, which makes me think LeBron is not going to suit up until next week, which is the start of the playing tournament. There are two regular season games remaining in the NBA right now. The top four seeds in the Western Conference are locked up. The Jazz, the Suns, the Clippers, and the Nuggets, we don't know what order those are going to be in specifically, but those are going to be the top four teams in the Western Conference. From there, nothing is set in stone from the Western Conference. The Trailblazers are the fifth seed right now with a record of 41 and 29. The Mavericks are the tied for fifth, but they're technically the sixth seed due to a tiebreaker. They're 41 and 29. And the Lakers are seven at 40 and 30. We do know that the Warriors and the Grizzlies will be in the play in tournament. They're both above 500. They're 37 and 33. They're, uh, the Grizzlies are 36 and 33. And the Warriors are 37 and 33, which is, which is what I just said. But. So, how can the Lakers get into either the play-in tournament or the playoffs? Simple. They've clinched a spot in the play-in tournament. They've clinched a spot in the play-in tournament, but they're still trying to clinch a playoff spot. If the Trailblazers or the Mavericks win one of their next two games, they are in the tournament. So, they just have to win one, and they're in. The Lakers need to win both of their games and have either the Trailblazers or the Mavericks go 0-2. If that happens, the Lakers will slide into the sixth seed, and the Trailblazers or the Mavericks, whichever team goes 0-2 in their last two games, will slide right into the seventh seed and be a part of the play-in tournament. It looks like the Spurs are going to be the tenth seed in the play-in tournament. So how the play-in tournament works, basically, so as of right now, it would be the Lakers, Warriors, Grizzlies, and Spurs in the play-in tournament in the West. The Lakers would play the Warriors in a three-game series, and the winner of that series would slide into the 7 seed in the playoffs and take on the 2 seed. 
and the loser would get a chance to play against the winner of the 9 versus 10 Grizzlies Spurs series. And then the winner of that series between the winner of the 9 versus 10 and the loser of the 7 versus 8 would be the 8 seed and face the number 1 seed in the Western Conference. So that's how the playing tournament works both in the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference. Everybody's a little bit more focused on the Western Conference right now because obviously the Lakers and the Warriors, two of the uh, sports biggest stars, Steph Curry and LeBron James, have a potential to be in this playing tournament. And kudos to the NBA for making this playing tournament. I know LeBron doesn't like it because the Lakers are going to be in the playing tournament and he'd rather be in the playoffs. But I think it's a great way for the league to make the season more competitive as a whole and also just to make money off the, these games and make them watchable. And if the league gets Lakers-Warriors, everybody will watch those games. So that is what the playoff picture is looking like in the Western Conference. In the Eastern Conference, it's a little more set in stone. The Sixers, Nets, Bucks, Hawks, Heat, and Knicks will be in the playoffs. Those are the top six teams in the East. Order still to be determined. The Sixers right now are the one seed. The Nets are the two seed. The Bucks are the three seed. The Hawks, Heat, and Knicks have all clinched. Shout out to the Knicks. Tom Thibodeau, Coach Tom Thibodeau, Julius Randle. Those New York Knicks fans have been through a lot of pain and suffering. And your team's in the playoffs. And you've guaranteed at least four games in the NBA playoffs. Right now they would face uh, Giannis and the Bucks. I think the Knicks could get up to the four seed. And they, they would much rather face the Hawks than one of the, the Sixers, Nets, or Bucks. The playing tournament in the East right now is the Celtics, Hornets, Pacers, and Wizards. And I expect it to stay that way. And honestly, that shouldn't be too bad of a tournament. It's going to be a little interesting because the Celtics could very well lose. And if the Celtics do lose in the playing tournament, I expect Brad Stevens to be fired as the Celtics head coach and for him to go back to coaching college. And the road got a little bit tougher for the Celtics, who just lost to the Cavs yesterday, by the way. Because the Celtics lost Jalen Brown for the season. Jalen Brown, their all-star player, tore a ligament in his wrist. And he had season-ending surgery yesterday. So the Celtics are going to have to rely on their other stars, such as Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker, to carry them to a win in the playing tournament and to carry them to that playoff spot. The Hornets are an exciting team. They do have LaMelo Ball, potential rookie of the year. They're just a fun, energetic, young group. And I'm excited to see what they do in this playing tournament. And the Pacers and the Wizards might sound like a dry matchup on paper, but Russell Westbrook, shout out to what Russell Westbrook. This week, he passed Oscar Robertson for the most triple-doubles in NBA history. The dude's averaging another triple-double. And uh, when it's all said and done, I, exp- I think Russell Westbrook will be a top-10 point guard in NBA history. The numbers he puts up day in and day out, the effort he puts in day in and day out is absolutely incredible. And the fact that he's averaged a triple-double for three-plus seasons in a row is absolutely insane. And the Wizards also do have Bradley Beal. So that will be an interesting playing series between the Pacers and the Wizards. But that's what the playoff picture is looking like right now. The Knicks clinched their first playoff berth since 2013 yesterday. The Cavs beat the Celtics, so that gave the Knicks the playoff spot. The Hawks are in the playoffs too. Their first playoff appearance since 2017. And in the West, the Trailblazers and Mavericks are the 5 and 6 seeds. The Lakers are still in the mix at 7. And the Pelicans and the league's darling Zion Williamson have been eliminated from play-in contention. So that's kind of what's going on around the NBA. It should be a fun couple of last couple of games of the regular season with all these playoff implications still up in the air. And it definitely should be a fun couple weeks of uh, the play-in tournament, which I'm so, so excited for, which is coming up, I believe, 
uh, May 20th, May 22nd. One of those two dates is when the playing tournament officially kicks off and we can start getting into NBA playoff basketball and the best sports time of the year starts. Stretch run in Major League Baseball, NBA playoffs, and NFL football starting up. It's the best sports time of the year besides the NCAA March Madness tournament. All right. Let's get into MLB standings before we wrap up the show with segments. So, first I want to talk about an issue. Uh, it's not really an issue in the MLB. It's kind of a topic in the MLB. There have been four no-hitters in the first 30 so thirty or so games. Four no-hitters. And the Cleveland Indians have been no-hit twice. The Indians got no-hit, I believe, on Saturday against Wade Miley of the Cincinnati Reds. The same Wade Miley that in that game did not throw a pitch above 91 miles an hour, which speaks to how great the Indians' offense is. But the Indians have been no-hit twice this season. They obviously got no-hit by Carlos Rodon of the Chicago White Sox early in the season. They got no-hit by Wade Miley last weekend. And no team in Major League Baseball history has been no-hit three times in one season. And Cleveland could very well become that team if the offense doesn't start picking it up. And I, and I say that, and I, it sounds like a, 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 me being critical of the Cleveland Indians and their offense. I am critical of the Cleveland Indians and their offense. I think their offense could be a lot better. But I do think the Indians have done a great job with what they have. They've won eight out of the last nine games, the lone blemish being that no-hitter. But they're still a half game back of first place in the AL Central. And their pitching has been stellar once again. They have a dominant lights-out bullpen as well. So let's start with the AL Central. The White Sox are a game up on the Indians. I just said a half game. They're actually a game up on the Indians. They're 21-13. and 13. They, They're off to a little bit of a hot stretch. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10. The Indians are 8-10 and 8-2 and in their last 10. They, uh, the Indians ha, uh, have equal road and home splits. They're 10-7 and seven at home, 10-7 and seven, uh, on the road. They started a road trip against Seattle tonight. But the Indians have been carried by stellar pitching. Shane Bieber has an MLB record of consecutive starts with eight or more strikeouts. He had eight strikeouts the other day, continued the streak. I believe it's 20 consecutive starts. And you look at the back end of the bullpen. James Karinchak is electric. He's got an electric arm, and his reactions to strikeouts are both – uh, his reactions to strikeouts and his um, his pitching are both very fun to watch. Emmanuel Classe, uh, very good closer for the Indians. Seven saves, a 1.1 ERA. And Brian Shaw has an under two ERA as well. The Indians' bullpen is dominant, and so is their starting pitching. Shane Bieber, 4-2 on the year with a 2.95 ERA. Leads the majors in strikeouts and innings pitched. Aaron Savali, 5-0 on the season, 2.91 ERA. He's been a stellar rock for the Indians. Zach Plezak has figured it out as of late after struggling early in the season. He's got a 3.8 ERA. He goes, he goes tonight against the Seattle Mariners. And even Tristan McKenzie in his last start, six innings, one hit, one earned run. He did a great uh, – zero earned runs, actually. The Indians shut out the Royals in his last start. And he's done a great job as well. The Indians still trying to figure out that fifth starter. They had Sam Hengens on the mound yesterday, the rookie left-hander. He pitched pretty well, 4.2 innings pitched, one earned run against the Cubs. But it's still a small sample size. They still got to figure out that number five starter. But if the Indians can get a couple guys to heat up like Jose Ramirez, Jose Ramirez's average hasn't been there yet this season. He's hitting about 250, but he leads the American League in home runs. And he ha- leads the team in RBIs. He and he's been very clutch this season as well. And they also need guys like Framil Reyes and Josh Naylor. 
And Ahmed Rosario, who went 3-4 for four yesterday and had a walk-off single. They need guys like those in their lineup to heat up. Cesar Hernandez is a perfect example, another guy. If they can get those guys heating up and hitting about 250, 260, 270, 280, somewhere in that ballpark, the Indians will be a playoff team. Elsewhere in the AL Central, the Twins and the Tigers are the the, the, the sellers in the AL Central. And that's surprising that they're they're still in the cellar because the Kansas City Royals, who were 16-9 and and had the best record at the American League on April 24th, have not won a game since. They've lost 11 straight games, and they're 16-20. and They're 0-10 in their last 10, and they would go from leading the division to being six games back in the division. The Twins are really bad. I don't know if this... The Twins can turn this around. They're 12-22. and 22, They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. And they're 6-11 and 11 at home, 6-11 and 11 on the road. And same with the Tigers. We, we expected this from the Tigers, though. We did not expect this from the Twins, a team that was supposed to compete for the AL Central title. Elsewhere in the American League, the American League East, the Red Sox have fallen back to earth a little bit. They went 17-10 uh, and 10 in April. Since then, they're 5-6. and six. 22 and 16. They still do lead the American League East by one game over the New York Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays, who both sit at 20 and 16. The Yankees are hot. They're 8 and 2 in their last 10 games, and they they've really gotten hot behind Garrett Cole, who has thrown 56 strikeouts without with uh, 56 consecutive strikeouts with zero walks. If he gets two uh, three more strikeouts without giving up a walk, he will uh, break the MLB record set by Corbin Burns of the Milwaukee Brewers, which just got set today. So that's some interesting milestone to watch for uh, the Yankees and Garrett Cole. And the American League East is really wide open. I could see any number of those top four teams, the Red Sox, Yankees, Blue Jays, or Rays, winning the division. In the West, it's been the Oakland A's, and the Houston Astros have played well as of late as well, and it looks like it's a two-team race between those two. The A's are 13 and 11 at home, and they're really good on the road, 10 and 4. And the Astros, uh, 11 and 9 at home, 9 and 8 away. They're only two and a half games back of each other. But the American League, I feel like, has been stronger than the National League mostly. Taking a look at the National League, the NL East is led by the red hot New York Mets, 8 and 2. And the Mets have been doing this without Jacob deGrom, who went on the uh, injured list last week due to, uh, um, I believe, it was an issue in his back. And they've also done it without. Francisco Lindor really catching fire yet. Lindor has raised his batting average from 163 to over 200 today, so that's something. And the Mets are 8 and 2 in their last 10. They've won 18. They're 18 and 13. The Phillies have also been playing well. They're 20 and 18. They're 7 and 3 in their last 10. The Braves are struggling. So are the Nationals. Two teams I thought would be at the top of this division. So that's something to watch there. The Cardinals are the best team in the National League right now. They're 23 and 15. They are running away with the National League Central. Not really. The only other team that's been comparable to the Cardinals are the Brewers. They're 20 and 18. And the National League West, it's top heavy, but bottom, uh, the bottom of the, the division is really bad too. So the Giants, Padres, and Dodgers all have 20 plus wins in the National League West, with the Giants on top at 22 and 14. The Dodgers have been struggling as of late as well, but I expect them to turn it around. And the Rockies have the worst record in baseball right now at 13 and 24. That's what's going on around Major League Baseball. So far, so good. Uh, It's been a great season so far, and it's still a very competitive 
season, um, and I expect the season to still be competitive. Let's wrap up the show right now with some of our segments. Let's start with Embrace Debates. Embrace Debate is presented by Anchor, as is this podcast. Let's go Embrace Debate. Uh, basically, Embrace Debate is kind of uh, borrowed from Barstool Sports. I think we're going to actually call the segment not Embrace Debate. We're going to call it Fair or Foul. It's going to be a sports opinion each week. I'm going to present a question, and I will give my thoughts on whether that's a fair assessment or a foul assessment. Fair or foul, let's get into it. Is Shohei Otani the MVP of Major League Baseball if the season ended today? Is that fair or foul? I say it's fair. Here's why. Shohei Otani. When he's not pitching, he's hitting in the lineup every day. He leads the American League in home runs with 10. He's hitting 257. He's got 26 runs batted in, 9 doubles. His slugging percentage is 574. His OPS is 877. He is the designated hitter. He also plays some right field. And based off that stat alone, uh, leading the American League in home runs, 257 uh, batting average and 26 RBIs, he'd be considered an all-star. But his pitching makes him the MVP of the league. Here's his pitching st- uh, his pitching st- stats as of late. Yesterday, he went seven innings, gave up one run, struck out ten batters. This season, he's 1-0 with a 2.1, 2.1 ERA. Five games started, 25.2 innings pitched, 11 hits, six earned runs, and 40 strikeouts in five starts. So he, he goes about five, six innings to start. Uh, strikes out about, I would say about five, six guys to start, and his stuff is electric. He throws over 100 miles per hour. He has an ERA under 2.5 at 2.1. He's hitting the ball and pitching the ball like we've never seen before. I know Babe Ruth pitched and hit back in the 20s, but he didn't. He never did both at the same time to the level that Shohei Otani is doing today. Shohei Otani this past week. Pitched against the Astros, went seven innings, gave up one run, struck out ten batters, and then the next day he led off and played right field. The the dude is built different, and that's why CC Sabathia says that he's the best player in the MLB today. And right now, I don't think I would give him the edge over Mike Trout in terms of being the best player in the MLB. But I think Shohei Otani, the things he is doing right now in Major League Baseball have never been seen before. And because of that, and because he's hitting and pitching at the highest of levels, he is my MVP if the MLB season ended today. That was fair or foul. And we're going to end the show with the joke goat of the week. The joke goat of the week. And today's joke goat of the week is Drew Robinson. And if you don't know the story of Drew Robinson, it's really an outstanding, incredible, touching story. So Jeff Passan is a reporter for ESPN. Great, great, great reporter. I had the pleasure of running into this story the other day. Um, I heard about it uh, last week. I didn't really read the story. didn't have time to. Just finished up my second year of college uh, and just started my internship with the Akron Rubber Ducks, the AA affiliate of the Cleveland Indians, doing some media production stuff over there. Really exciting summer coming up with the Rubber Ducks and with this podcast, so stay tuned for some more great content. But uh, back to this story. I didn't have time to read it last week. I did sit down and read it this week, and man, oh man, it is crazy. So Drew Robinson, on April 16th, 2020, so a little bit over a year ago, Drew Robinson shot himself in the head. 
and he wanted he wanted to end his life and for some reason he so remarkably and as Drew would say for some reason God wanted me alive Drew Robinson shot himself in the head on April 16th and over the next 20 hours he still lived he shot himself in the head and he lived for 20 hours and the doctors brought him into surgery and they saved his life and he survived a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head and he he lived and now he says I'm here for a reason he's feeling thankful he wants to tell the world what happened and he's just been one of the best sports stories of of a lifetime he's he's um uh Drew Robinson is a minor league outfielder in the San Francisco Giants organization he played in the major leagues for the Texas Rangers in the early 2000s he's 30 years old um and he he obviously he his story is very inspiring so he shot himself in the head he he survived it the doctors um, saved him. They, they had to do surgery on him. He lost his right eye in the surgery, and now Drew has a prosthetic eye, and he's missing his right eye, obviously, but he's looking to become the, only the second major uh, player to ever play in the major leagues with one eye, and the story just keeps on getting better and better. Before this season, Drew, uh, bef- a couple weeks ago, Drew Robinson was named to the Sacramento River Cats, the AAA affiliate of the San Francisco Giants, to their active roster, their opening day roster. He made his debut on May 5th, and two days ago, on May 11th, he hit his first home run of the season with one eye in AAA baseball. Most guys wouldn't be able to hit a AAA baseball with two eyes, and here's Drew Robinson playing at the high at the highest of levels in professional baseball playing with one eye after surviving something that not a lot of people do survive Drew is an inspiration he is he's been very open about his mental health and he's been very open about being bigger than baseball um in the night uh and I'll just kind of read you the last uh, couple of paragraphs of this story from Jeff Passan about Drew Robinson and kind of just how inspiring his story really is. Reminders of April 16th are everywhere. Drew kept the shorts he was wearing, the towel that absorbed so much of the blood, the note he wrote, his the, and the note he wrote. His family removed the plank of wood where the bullet had lodged and had turned it into a necklace for him. Chad has the gun. Drew isn't sure what he wants to do with it. He could toss it into the Grand Canyon or destroy it, with a torch. For now, he doesn't really think about it. In the nightstand that once held his gun, Drew keeps a small jewelry box with a keepsake inside. It's the bullet that burrowed through his head and changed his life. Sometimes he'll remove it from the box, roll it between his index finger and thumb, use it to remind himself where he was and where he is. I look at this thing and think, I'm stronger than you, he says. I'm stronger than what I thought I was. And Drew Robinson is stronger and he is one of the strongest and toughest people I've ever heard about. I would love to meet Drew Robinson. He seems like such an inspiration. And he is just very insp- in- in- inspiring. And he um, obviously he made a comeback. He hit a home run yesterday. And that's why he's my joke of the week. Because he overcame one of the most low places anybody could ever be. He survived a traumatic experience and he came back stronger. He's now a mental health advocate. He's been sharing his story to a bunch of different media outlets, helping other people who may have been in his position. And now he's getting back to playing the game he loves. He hit, he hit his first home run, since returning 
two days ago, and he is aiming to become only the second player ever to play Major League Baseball with one eye. Shout out to Drew Robinson, my joke of the week, for being such a big inspiration and such a big uh, comeback story of the year, in my opinion. And that is going to do it for tonight's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you guys have a great, great, great week. Do something fun. The weather's nice outside. And it just is starting to feel like summer. With that being said, I hope you guys enjoy your week. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Jote Sports Pod. And be sure to interact with me on social media, both on our podcast Instagram at Jote Sports Pod. That's at J-O-T Sports Pod. Or follow me on Twitter at Jack Bernie TV. And you can send me suggestions, comments, anything you like about the show, questions you have about the show, anything. I'd be happy to answer it on air. But until next week... We'll come back with a great episode next week. But until then, I hope you guys have a great, great, great weekend. And do something fun and stay safe. And we'll catch you on the flip side.